0: Let's pray. Father, we're so uh, so glad to be here and to get to be with your people, God, and to even just to have the chance to sing and to rehearse of what you've done for us in your son, God, and how we stand on him as our only foundation. God, I pray that now as we um, look to your word, would you speak to us? Would you speak to our hearts individually, God? And would you draw us upward to you in faith? God, would you stir our faith and would you grow our faith that we might love you more and serve our neighbor? God, we love you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So I was thinking um, thinking earlier today, actually, uh, just about how, even, I'm, I'm guilty of this myself, how... This whole thing can become very just roped and routine. And we get in here and we sing our songs and then we sit down and it's just business as usual. Somebody gets up, they open up the Bible and they start talking. And before too long, you know, you're checked out and then you're kind of off in la la land. If you're like me, off in la la land. And then it's all of a sudden he's praying, it's over, and you're standing back up to sing, and then you're on your way, and you're out to get lunch or dinner or whatever. And, um, I, you know, I just want to, to say that, you know, um, and highlighting specifically, um, everything that we do here, we do for a reason. We, each, each church service, we do everything for a reason. Um, but sp- specifically when it comes to, um, the preaching of God's word, this isn't just, this isn't a Bible study. This isn't just me trying to, um, come up with some creative ways to connect with you. God's truth is, I mean, this is, anytime God's word is opened up and whoever is presenting it, whoever is saying God's words to you, um, God's spirit does something. God makes use of his word. When, when these words here are brought up and out of, out of the scriptures through somebody's mouth and into your ears, um, my prayer is, and, and, and what, what we hope happens and what we pray happens is that these words, they are communicated to you that God takes them. He intercepts them, makes them his own words, and then applies them to your heart. So this isn't just black and white me saying things and you downloading it into the back of your mind. But this is actually, anytime God's word is open for me, for you, for anybody, you actually encounter the living God. And so I have a responsibility to um to be faithful and preparing and trying to communicate in a way that you can pay attention and listen. But then there's also um there's also a responsibility on you, which is where I actually feel like I'm a worse listener than I am communicator when it comes to preaching. Um but there's also a responsibility on you to um to receive this word, to actively listen. And so I, I, I just say that because I don't want us to I I don't want us just to get in here, sit down, and business as usual, all right let's go, How long, you know, when's this going to be over, I'm glad that I you know, learned a couple things, but, but really like, understand that this is, this is a time in which God confronts us. He, when, he, when his word is opened, he is opened, and he comes to us. And so I just want to set the tone with that. Um, so with that um, in mind, uh, this passage, you may have picked up on it even as it was being read, that it confronts, Uh, It confronts us as a generation, and it confronts us as a culture as well. It confronts our individualism, right? I mean, our mantras are, it's me against the world. It's me, myself, and I. Uh, It's just, I'm kind of sectioned off on my own, doing my own thing, disconnected from anyone behind me, disconnected from anyone with me now, and in the future, I'm just kind of, I'm making myself into what I am, and I can remake myself if I want to, uh, you know, and we, so we pick up the magazines and the 50 quick, easy, cheap ways to remake ourselves. I mean, we're just just—we're individuals. We, we're independent of anybody else. That's so we think. But this passage, I mean, that's, there's like no room for that at all here in this passage. But what we see here is that we are deeply and thankfully connected um, to... To two specific people, <laughs> there's two people that we can be connected to um, that we'll see specifically here. But you know, this this individualism—we we all have that in this 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 time, this age. We have that. I mean, I think even of myself, like, you know, I've always wanted to be an individual. Like, even in high school, I would I would go to Goodwill to buy T-shirts that you couldn't get anywhere else, just so I'd be the only one wearing them. So I'd like I I remember I had a couple of just really weird shirts. Like, I had one that was like a it was like a Celtic dancing competition shirt that was like bright green and had this weird design. And I, and I wore that thing like as a badge of honor because I was like, I'm the only one who's wearing this thing. Like all the other 50 people in the Celtic dancing competition who got this shirt, they also gave it to Goodwill. So I'm the only dude that's wearing this shirt. So, uh, you know, I felt good about that. Or I would wear, you know, I would wear shirts like, um, like family reunion shirts that weren't my family that I'd get from Goodwill. Like, I had like the Williams family. Uh, I'm not a Williams. Uh, and I remember going through the drive-thru one time, and somehow the person saw my shirt. I don't know how through the drive-thru, but they saw it. And they're like, oh, I'm a Williams. And, I'm, and, I'm, and they're like, are you, are you related to the Williams? You're wearing a shirt. I was like, ah. Like, uh, and I just like totally lied. You know, you like just off about, you just like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, you know, so-and-so. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And then I got my food and just left, and I like repented in the car on the way home because I just <laughs> lied. And I was like, I didn't mean to. Um, you know, but it's just, and that... Silly, but it you know, it comes out of this desire in me and I'm and, and in all of us to be our own person, to be our own man, our own woman. We want to be our own person and make our, our own selves and so we want to stand separated. But this also comes out in our relationship with God as well. We 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 also want to stand as individuals before God, not linked to anybody else. But that's not good. That's actually, that's bad. If that's how God set it up, that you stand by yourself before God, that is not good. So look with me um, here in verse 12 of chapter 5. And this passage, this verse, comes out of uh, the first half of Romans 5, which is where Paul has been saying over and over and over again, he said, All this stuff, your your justification, your being made right, all of this, it comes through Jesus Christ. So like all this stuff, um, the hope of the glory of God comes through Jesus. Peace with God comes through Jesus. Access into grace comes through Jesus. Rejoicing in God comes through Jesus. All that through this little tiny narrow gate. Not all, you don't have peace with God through kind of just generally how it's it's very narrow and specific. And so we get this sense of like once you, if you really kind of take that in you begin thinking like can we really base this whole th- i mean my present condition and my future hope on one guy and specifically one act of one guy? Like can i bank on that 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 one thing that that one guy did matters for the rest of everybody? Yes, and actually it's always been that way. It, it's, this isn't like, this isn't God getting creative and doing something new. This is actually the pattern of which God has always done it. So look with me in verse 12. It says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Okay, So we've got a couple of things going on here. We're getting this kind of quick boom, boom, boom of how everything got to be so jacked up as it is, as we know it is. Now, sin came into the world through one man. He doesn't name that one man in this verse, but in just two verses later in verse 14, we do see the name of that man, Adam. So through just one man, sin comes into the world. One. That word one is repeated 12 times in less than 10 verses here. One. Just one. So if you uh, have already checked out, or if you're uh, on the verge of checking out, it, just walk away with that one word. One. Because that is, that is the key to this passage, and it's the key to an aspect of our salvation that I think we so often miss. That it's based on one so, so through one man, sin enters the world, and then through sin, death enters the world. So death wasn't natural. Like that, that reality that hangs just right over the head of every single person, that it could just get snipped and dropped at any time, that's not natural. That wasn't supposed to be the way that it was. That came in because of one man and because of one man's sin, Now, he continues on to say, now it's not just one guy, but that actually has spread to everybody, every single person, everyone in this room, myself included. Why? And this is where it gets a little confusing because it says, "Why, why does all this get spread out to everybody? Because all sinned. So was it one man's sin or was it everybody's sin? You kind of get this back and forth throughout this entire passage. And that's actually the key to the whole point of it. The point of it is, is yes, it's both. And so this, this word here, um, at the end of verse 12, because all sinned, the, the tense that that's in, in the original language, it's actually, refer, it, all, that tense always only refers to a singular past action. So this isn't that like everybody sins over and over again, and you just keep messing up. No, this is everybody sinned once, Back then. So this is linking Adam with us. It's saying that his sin was our sin and that our sin was his sin. So this gets played out a little bit more as we continue moving through this paragraph here. In verse 13, it says, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. So he brings up the law and he says, okay, it's not like, okay, so, because then in verse 14 he goes, so from Adam to Moses, it's not like nobody wasn't sinning. It's just that God hadn't given the Ten Commandments yet and so they didn't even know that they were. They were still guilty, they just didn't know that they were. So their guilt was there, but they just felt it less because there weren't even laws yet for them to break. Which brings us to 14. It says, yet death Reigned. Death, that word there, reigned, is the same word that we get kingdom from. Death was king. Death dominated. When? From Adam to Moses. That gap in history, when God had not said, this is what I want you to do. Here are the things you're supposed to do. He didn't, there was nothing to break. The only thing he'd ever said for anybody to do between those two times, specifically... Um, was to Adam to not eat of the fruit of the tree lest he should die. He had not given his formal law yet. And yet, it says, death reigned. Death was king over everybody, even those who were sinning and didn't even know it. Then it goes on to say that this was all because of Adam being a type, a pattern of one to come. So what we see here is that God does not deal with us independently by ourselves, siloed off. He deals with us through a representative. It's like in a, in a court of law. There's a defendant. If you get taken to court, there's a defendant with you that you either hired or that was given to you. And, and what do they do? Well, you sit there with your mouth shut and your hands cuffed, and they talk, and they act on your behalf. And you've hired this this defendant, or you've chosen this defendant, for specific reasons, because you trust that they will act in your best interest, and that they have the same views on things that you do, and that you can really trust them, that they will really act as you would act, and they would really speak as you would speak. And so here... With Adam, we see that he is our representative. Now, we don't like that. We, I mean, just being individualistic, we don't like that. Because, well, it's like, well, I, I want to be held accountable for what I do. Not like whatever, like I'm not, I don't want to be connected to everybody else, you know. I don't like that. I mean, even just think about, you know, like you, let's just say like, you, you know, you say like, I drove, I drove myself to church tonight. And that's true. But where'd your car come from? Did you buy it? Probably most of you didn't buy your car. Probably most of you, it was a gift from your parents. Some of you maybe did buy it. So, okay, so you're already connected to your parents because they got you a car. Now, either way, whether you bought it or it was a gift, you had to put gas in the car. So where'd the gas come from? Well, the gas station. Well, how'd the gas get to the gas station? Well, some guy drove a truck there. How'd the guy get it in his truck? Well, it came overseas somehow, and someone there got it up out of the ground. So even that, and even like the idea of a car, you drove yourself here in a car. Was it your idea to make a car? No, like you're, you're just, you're connected to some guy way back when who had the idea for a car. And so all these things we're were connected in all these ways that we don't even, we don't want to admit that we are. We want to feel like I'm, I just, I drove myself to church, period. That's it. We don't want to accept that there's, there's those behind us currently and in front of us that we are connected to necessarily. And that's what, that's what we're given here. What we're given here is that we are connected to Adam, whether we like it or not. The second thing with this that we don't like is that uh, not only do we not like having a representative, we don't like the one that was picked for us. right? This doesn't seem fair. This doesn't, this doesn't seem fair that thousands of years ago in the, in the Garden of Eden that one guy's mistake should bear the kind of ruin that it has on you and me thousands of years later. That doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem fair. And it's precisely at that point where it doesn't feel fair, where where it feels like this can't be right, that God would Represent me through someone else, that that is actually the very point that the door to salvation actually begins to crack open with some real clarity. Because this is what happens when when God deals with us through a representative, through somebody else. With Adam, we think, okay, I don't like him being my representative. But here's the thing, God, did God not create Adam and say that he was good, very good? God not only chose Adam to be your defendant, like in the court, to be your representative, he actually created him to do that very job for you and for me. And so what that tells us is that we can trust that he acted as we would have acted. That he spoke as we would have spoken. I mean, if you even think about it, I mean, if you're honest with yourself, I mean, When we sin, isn't it just the constant replaying of the fall over and over and over again? That, I mean, it's like, that's what it is. God says, don't do this or you'll die. The serpent comes and says, do this. You won't die. And then you take, you take that, you take that fruit and then you do die. (laughs) And then you do it again and again. And it's the constant replaying of the fall. So Adam, this isn't some unfair... It's not like God was just being mean to us and blackmailing us and giving us some guy who wouldn't do a good job representing us. He's giving us the perfect representative. One who would act and speak in every way that you and I would act and speak. And so because Adam sinned, and because Adam was guilty and broke God's law, in him we are guilty. And in him we have broken... God's law. And this actually is good news. This is actually really good news because you don't want to get thrown into a court by yourself. You don't want to be, a, you don't want to be guilty or you don't want to be in a court period, whether you're innocent, by yourself. You, you don't want to defend yourself in a court, right? You always want to have somebody speaking on your behalf. Someone talking for you. Because When God deals with us through another, through a representative, we can see that if Adam's disobedience becomes our disobedience, that if there was to be one who was outside of Adam, who was obedient, he could be obedient for us. So just as Adam is disobedient for us, there could be one, if he came outside of Adam, who could be obedient for us on our behalf. That there could be a second Adam. Or as 1 Corinthians 15 says, a last Adam. And as we see here in this passage, a pattern of the one who was to come. Adam is a type, is an imprint, is a shadow of the reality of one who was to come. This isn't uh, God doing things with us through a representative isn't, isn't a new thing. This, is, this has always been God's plan. And it's always been good that it's been this way. That, I mean, because think about it. If it's just you and your sin before God, period, that's it, outside of any representative, then you're done. You're out. You have no hope for a new representative. But if you had an old representative who got you into a mess, then you can have a new representative who gets you out of that mess, who brings you out of death and into life. And now with this all, balancing it, right? Because it's, there's this balancing act here. Because in, there, there is, it is so true that it, Adam's disobedience is our disobedience. But it's also our disobedience because he's our representative and he acted as we would have acted. And he actually acts as we act. So in Adam, we actually sinned. And I'm not going to get into biology here, but I mean, if you think about it, if he, if he's the first guy we all came from him so in in a way like we were in him uh not going to take any further than that but we're in him and so he acts as our the head of this race in a real way so here in in this first paragraph we see that there's a first adam and then in these last two paragraphs, we see that there's a second Adam. This first, this second paragraph shows how these two Adams are different. And the third paragraph shows how they are actually very similar. Verse 15 says this. But the free gift is not like the trespass. So right off, he's saying, okay, Adam and Jesus are alike, but they're not the same. There's, a, there's some big differences here, Okay. A free gift is not like the trespass. Even that, I mean, even you see just the motivation between these two. That, 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 Adam is is self-promoting. He's he's trespassing. He's doing what he wants on his, for himself. And then Christ is self-giving. He's he's given a gift here, a freely giving a gift. So Adam's promoting himself, but Jesus is sacrificing himself. And then we see that the results are different. Continuing on in in verse 15, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So the results here are different. Through the first Adam, there's death that comes out of it. But through the second Adam, there's life in him. And then in 16, we see that through the first Adam, there's condemnation that comes from him because of his trespass, because of his sin. And then in the new Adam, the second Adam, Christ, there's actually justification and life. One one commentator puts it like this, in noting that uh, what we see in verse 16 is that, That the judgment and the condemnation that comes is not the last word. That there is life and justification that comes as a free gift. He says this, Sin is not the last word. For the gift itself alters the sinner's entire situation. It points to the freeness of salvation. The believer is not required to strive heroically against Adam's legacy as the price of acceptance with God. I'll, I'll repeat that second half. The believer is not required to strive heroically against Adam's legacy to make God accept him. It's like, I mean, you think about if Adam's the first, the first man, the first human, and we're all following after him, it's like a stream. You know, a stream finds it's at the top of a mountain. There's a, there's a well in the ground that it's coming out of. And so out of that stream, because of Adam, he's set the tone of this stream that death comes out of it. Corruption comes out of it. Darkness, rottenness comes out of that stream. And so what I think so many of us, even as followers of Christ, and those of us who have not yet put our faith in Jesus, we feel like what our job is, is, to, is to fight the current of that stream and just swim and paddle as hard as we can upstream to get up to the top so we can get out of this sh- river that's flowing so hard against us. But what we have here is a free gift, a life preserve that's thrown into that river, pulls us out and puts us in a new river with a new source, Christ. And out of that source flows life and flows salvation and restoration, and healing. And, and we're never asked to fight up to the top of that. And in verse 17, says this, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. I mean, you see this here. It says that because one man's trespass, death reigned. One man. Not everybody. One man. But then much more. So this isn't just a, a slight comparison. This is much more those who receive the abundance of grace. I mean, this, this... Sin... I mean, Genesis 2, God says, if you sin, you will die. If you do this you will die. It's just exacting. It's like it's counting it out. It's like if you do this, you're going to get this, and you can count on it. But grace is not like that. It's not exacting. It's not counting. It's overflowing. It knows no boundaries. I mean, at least three times in this passage, it's talking about this gift of grace abounded for many those who received the abundance of grace. And then we'll see here near the end that grace abounded all the more. The, the idea here is that there, it's, there's no bounds. And the phrase that, that keeps being used here is that it super abounds. It's not just that grace flows out to us, but that it, it overflows over us. And this is why I think, you know, we get uncomfortable with grace. We, I mean, it's, it's, so, I mean, it's, like, it's so free That it's like, oh, are you sure? Like, I I can have that? And God is so liberal with it that it's like, do you know, like, what I've done? Do you know what I've thought? And it becomes uncomfortable. And if God's grace, if receiving God's grace feels uncomfortable to you, then you can be assured that you're right in the middle of it. If you think that, like, okay, this... And this, this feels pretty good, actually. Like, yeah, I'm not that bad. And so God being nice to me makes sense. I mean, it should be mind-boggling to you that God is nice to us and is loving to us. I mean, we should be embarrassed of God's grace, that he is so good to us sinners and that it would overflow over us. And then, um, so, so these are the ways that, that Adam and Christ are different. It doesn't mention it here, but it does in chapter 6. And so I'm, I'm sorry, Logan, if I'm stealing your sermon next week already. Um, but the, how we're united with Adam. We're, we're united with Adam by birth, by physical birth. We're united with him. But Christ, we are united with him just the same, the same, the same kind of unity, but by faith. So we know, we feel it. We feel the guilt, the shame. Like you say that, I mean, when I'm sitting here saying like you're in Adam, because of, your sin, because of your sin, you guys, you're doing the same thing. his disobedience is yours. You're like, yeah, I get that. That's me. In him, I sinned. It is the same in Christ. Even more, though, he is perfect. He is righteous. And so in him, you are perfect. You are righteous. You, you actually have done that in him. That is given to you as a free gift. This is not what you've earned, but this is given to you as a gift. So looking here quickly at this last paragraph. This is how Adam and Christ are the same. It says in verse 18, therefore as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Again, it's one one single act of righteousness. Each of these guys stand almost like it's it's like an umbrella almost. Like these two umbrellas that you're standing under. You're not, no one's outside of them. No one's out on their own. We're all in one of these two guys, either Adam or Jesus. All those who have been born are in Adam. And all those who have been born again by faith, by trusting in Christ, are lifted out of that, taken from under that umbrella, and put under the umbrella and the protection of a new head, of a new representative, a new defendant. And so what we see in this last paragraph is that both of these stand for a body of people. And what they have done is then transferred to them. And we know that because we sin. We feel that. And so again, it's the same with Christ. As real as that is to us, it is his righteousness being given to us. His new verdict on us should be just as real to us. And look with me at verse 19. For by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. We need to hear that again. We need to hear that. I need to hear that. I'm made righteous because of one man. Like that is the good news tonight for you and for me. The good news for you and me tonight is that you are saved on the basis of one act of righteousness. And it's not yours. You are saved on the basis of one person. And that person isn't you. It's Christ. It is Christ. And so we need to hold on to, we need to hold on to that in verse 19. That it's one man's obedience that many will be made righteous. Righteous. It is not our own obedience. It is his obedience. And so the question for us tonight is, are you trying to fight the current of the downward stream of Adam's consequences? Are you trying to swim up that? If you feel tired spiritually, if you feel really just like you're failing, then you probably are. Christ doesn't leave us to that pursuit, to that end. He comes not only to get us out of that, but to get us from out of Adam and into himself. So, will you let Jesus do that? Will you let Jesus be that for you? Be the one for you, the one who is obedient in your place. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that you have set up the world in such a way that you do not view us merely as individuals on our own, but that you have so graciously given us representatives that act and speak in our place. And God, I pray that those of us who have trusted in Christ, that we would take hope in that. That we would take hope in that one man, Jesus Christ. That we would take hope in his one act of righteousness. In his one act of obedience. God, would you nourish our faith through that very truth. God, we love you. And we praise you. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.